Well, good morning. Uh, we are just a little bit late starting this morning, but that's okay. Uh, we are going to start now. Um, don't worry if you're still getting your coffee at the back, that's fine. Just uh, we'll, we'll make a start while you're sorting that out. And we're going to start by singing our first hymn, number 237. And then after that, we're going to pray. So 237, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Let's stand and sing together.
Son and Spirit. You are holy, holy, holy. You are one and yet three. And in many ways so far beyond our understanding. Beyond our comprehension. And yet Lord we know that you are who you say you are. And that you have seen fit to reveal something of yourself to us. Even though we are nothing like you. We are not holy, we are sinful. We have not kept your Lord, we have broken them. We are not infinite but finite. And yet Lord, you have given to us so much in your word. Jesus, we thank you that you came into human history. That you became one of us. And that you stood in our place and took the punishment that we deserved for our sin. Father, we thank you that it was your plan and that you did punish your son in our place. And Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and reveal yourself to us. And Lord, make uh, this change in our hearts, turn us into your people as we trust in what you have accomplished. Lord, we thank you so much for everything you have done for us. And we pray we would live in the light of it, your glory and for our good and so that the gospel might go to other people so that they might share the hope that we have if we are putting our trust in you and living for you lord we pray for all of the specific needs this morning that are present in our con- congregation both those who are here in the building and those who are at home or elsewhere lord you know our hearts and you know our situations lord you know the the prayers that we pray in silence You know the fears that we have, the hopes that we have, the dreams that we have, the problems that we face. Lord, we pray that in every area of our lives, you would be active and present, and you would be working to use us for your glory. We ask all of these things now in your name, Jesus. Amen. And we're going to have the notices now, uh, which are as follows. So after this service, there will be more tea and coffee at the back, Uh, so do stay around for that. As you've noticed, unfortunately, the heating is still not working. I'll give you a quick update on it. Uh, we have a plumber coming out on Friday. And I'm hoping, <laughs> I am hoping that he might be able to do a temporary job to get the heating at least partially working for next week. Um, unfortunately, to fix the main problem, it's going to take a little bit longer. But I'm hoping we can get at least the back hall heated, hopefully, next week. If not, we have got the fan heaters so we're not freezing, freezing, and do keep wearing your coats, and we'll keep serving coffee before the service. Um, but certainly, uh, we have got a date booked in for that at the end of the month, so that will be fixed, but hopefully we don't have to wait till the end of the month to get everything else sorted, because it is cold, and we uh, would like to get that sorted as soon as possible. Uh, the problems we had with the electrics last week is all fixed as well, which is great, so that is good news, and uh, we are grateful for that. As a result of the heating not working, it, we are going to cancel the baby and solder group for this Friday. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, one is uh, just a sanitary reason, obviously, with changing nappies and all the rest of it, and all those babies, we need hot water. Um, it's okay for, for a Sunday morning, there's not many, you, you know, we're, we're okay. But for baby and solder groups, we really do need that. Um, and also, just a, a comfort thing, we can have fan heaters on in the service, which gives us some heat. But with 20 babies running around, <laughs> fan heaters are not going to be safe. So we can't do that. So we are going to cancel the baby and toddler group for this Friday, certainly. Now, 
the engineer is coming out on this Friday, so if, if he can get the heating on the back room, then that means from the week after we'll be able to start again with bathing and toilet roof. And it may be that the kids' club is also cancelled. Um, we've not made a decision on that yet, but we will uh, we'll put something on the WhatsApp group to say what happens with that uh, later this week. On Wednesday, our Bible study will be on Zoom, uh, so, or at least the, the Bible study will be on WhatsApp, and then we will meet on Zoom for a time of fellowship and prayer. Uh, and of course, you can bring your own heat into that meeting, uh, which is always beneficial. Uh, on Friday, as I've said, no baby and the group, and we're not sure about the, the children's club. And then back Sunday, we will be here at 11 o'clock for uh, our morning service. Unfortunately, I won't be here next week because I'm speaking at Bethel. Um, so... Um, I, I didn't. I, I, I was, you know, I didn't know whether to take the boot in, and I remembered we've got no heating, and they have. So, you know. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so that is the notices for the rest of the day and the coming week. Why don't we have some choruses to warm us all up? I think that'd be good, wouldn't it? Uh, so, do the kids want to come to the front, and we'll do some choruses? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Right, we're going to start with A, B, C, D. So there's actually, there's no actions for this one, but that's okay sure. because, you know, we'll get there. Sure, Derek's here. Derek's here. Oh, we, we can have the piano, yes. the organ, and the, and the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't see you arrive. <laughs> Thank you, Pam.
which is Esther uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. So if you've got your Bible with you, um, turn to Esther chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. If you have one of these church Bibles like this, these red NIVs, then you'll find this on page 355. Um, And if you've not got one of them, you'll probably be around 355 anyway. It gives you a start. So Esther chapter 3, and we're going to read... From verse 1 down to 15. After these events, King Xerxes honoured Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honour higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honour to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour. Then the royal officials said to the king's gate, that, sorry, 
Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behaviour would be tolerated. For he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honour, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the pur, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman, to select the day and the month. And the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom, whose customs are different from those of all other people, and who do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will put 10,000 talents of silver into the royal treasury for the men who carry out this business. So the king... So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadeth, the Agite, enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then, on the thirteenth day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. These were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day. The 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the text in the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. Spared on by the king's command, the couriers went out and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink but the city of Susa was bewildered. I'm going to ask um, my dad to come and read, uh, speak from that passage, but before I do, let me just pray for him and for us as we consider this together. Father, as we read this passage, we are both reminded of maybe how we may feel sometimes as Christians living in a world which is often opposed to you. And at the same time, we are amazed at the freedoms that we do have and how trivial so many of our problems seem compared to the total annihilation that your people fear, this genocide that they face at this time. 
Father, we pray that as we hear your word preached today, you would encourage us to stand up for you and also that we would have confidence in you in every situation we face. Father, I pray for my dad. I pray that what he has prepared is what you would say to us this morning. And I pray that we would listen and hear you speaking through him now this morning. We ask all of these things for your glory. Amen. Well, good morning and uh, welcome. It's good to see you all. And uh, that hymn that we sang at the beginning, Holy, Holy, Holy. If you look at the top, uh, there's the name of the man, uh, Reginald Herbert, and the date that he lived. And that was quite a while ago. And I just wanted to mention that because these hymns that we sing, they are written by men who are inspired by God to write these hymns. And that particular man, he wrote that hymn. Now, I wonder if you know where he took his inspiration from. Well, if you Google him and have a little read about him, you'll find out that he took his inspiration from God's Word, the Bible. And if you want to know where it is, it's in the book of Revelation. And if you want to know what verse and chapter, I'm not going to tell you. As <laughs> if you want to know, and you're keen enough, go and look for it. Holy, holy, holy. And you'll see it more than once in that chapter of, uh, in that book of Revelation. Right, if you've got your Bibles um, and you want to get them over to that page, the page is 355 if you've got one of the Pew Bibles, and uh, you can follow it through as we look at these uh, verses together. You see, the book of Esther takes us to the time in world history, and it is about world history. You know, the Bible is not removed from what's been happening from the beginning of creation. In fact, the Bible starts telling us about creation. And then it goes right the way through, brings things into our day that have happened in the past that are relevant to us, and then it goes on and continues to show us what the future will be. So this is some book that we've got, and it's so ignored. Many people will say, oh, don't, don't believe the Bible. Have you read it? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, there's a good point. You're here. The book of Esther takes us to the time in world history, go and check your history books, when the Babylonian Empire fell to the Mesopersians Persians prior to the emergence of Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. The southern kingdom of Judah, if you look in your Bibles, you look in your history books, it spent 70 years in captivity in the nation of Babylon. And when Babylon was defeated, the Medes and the Persians took over all that land and more. And the Persian king Cyrus allowed the Jewish exiles to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild what the Babylonians had destroyed. Now you can read all about that. You can read it in uh, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, all books here in the Bible. But many of God's people who didn't take up that opportunity to go back to Jerusalem remained where they were. Now not as slaves, but as exiles living in what is still a foreign land. And the land is called Persia. They settled down feeling that they could live free and be free of opposition, but it wasn't the case. Opposition would come. And the book of Esther is all about how God protects and delivers his people when they face great opposition. God's name is not mentioned in the book of Esther. I don't know if you knew that, but read through the book. You won't hear 
God's name mentioned. You might think that's strange. Well, it's not really. When you look at the full context of the book and you realise what is happening here, what you see in the book of Esther is that, first of all, God is in control. And he's in control in times and situations that seem to be completely hopeless. Where there's no hope, but God is there. And we also see God's presence in his people. That's good, isn't it? You can see God at work. His name's not mentioned, but we know he's there. And we can see how his people, those who are faithful to him, react. This is very relevant to us today. The Bible is always relevant to us in our day. God's people, even now, are living in places where there's great opposition to the gospel. Places where God's presence, although his name is not allowed to be mentioned, his presence can be seen in those who are his people. And as we go through the book of Esther, we started this some weeks back, uh, just before Christmas. But I want us to look out and see things in the lives of Esther, in the lives of Mordecai, and even in the lives of Haman, the evilness that was in his heart. But we can see in Esther and Mordecai something of the love of God, the, the peace that God can give them in these situations, the, the fact that they are there to, to, to fall there and go through these things, they can show kindness and goodness, they can be faithful, they can be gentle, and they can have a degree of self-control. Now, we've been celebrating uh, Christmas. And what Matthew mentioned when he, he prayed is that we celebrate how God became one of us. How he came to live amongst us. That is the joy of Christmas. But we know that he grew up. And he suffered more than any of us could ever suffer. Even through great times of difficulty, we find ourselves suffering. But we have a promise. The promise that if we know him as our saviour, then he will walk with us through the good times, and more importantly, the bad times and the hard times. And at the times when we don't always feel his presence. It's true, isn't it? We don't always feel that God is with us. We read in John's Gospel. You'll know this verse very well. It's uh, verse 14 of John chapter 1. The Word became flesh. That's when God became man. And dwelt among us. He became living amongst us, not just to live amongst us, but to be one of us. And not just to live amongst us in the, the big house on the hill with the big car, but to live amongst us in our pain, in our suffering, in our sorrow. And John could say that they saw something of his glory, the glory of the one who is the Son of God. Glory! A man dying on a cross, a man being persecuted by all the authorities, yes! Because they could see God in him, because that's who he was. And John goes on and says, He came from the Father, 
full of grace and truth. You know, there are two things that are God-given to those who believe in Jesus. And two things that when you know Jesus as your Savior, you too can share with others. You can bring grace where grace is needed. And you can hold fast to the truth because we have the truth. God is true. Oh, there's a challenge from the New Testament now. A verse from Colossians 1 verse 10. And this is why God came. This is why Jesus came and died. This is what happens when we accept Jesus as our Savior. The verse in Colossians. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That's the Christian life as it should be. Growing in the knowledge of God and letting people see that in the lives that we live. I, I was, when I was doing this, I thought of a hymn. And a hymn is actually, it's not really a hymn, it's just a chorus. And it is in the Mission Prayers. I think it's 104, uh, 410, I think it is. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All of his wondrous compassion and purity. O oh, thou Spirit divine, all my nature refine. Till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That sums up all the things that I just said. The, the hymnist, the hymnologist, as he called the hymn writer, he put it that way in a few sentences. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's what he said. All of his wonders, compassion and purity. Oh, thou spirit divine, all my nature refines. Till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. So, with those thoughts, back to Esther. We've been looking at Esther and uh, verse chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. We have the story so far. Just to remind you, I'll read those verses. The king set a royal crown on her head, that is Esther, and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all the nobles and officials. And he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. And when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions, as he had done when he was bringing her up. This is where we left Esther, in the place which was the palace, and Mordecai at the king's gate and we left them there before Christmas so we could enjoy Christmas and the Christmas story so we're back with Esther Esther is now queen she's in the palace Mordecai is at the king's gate now if you look in your Bibles uh, verse 21 through to 23 of, two, uh, of chapter 2 we can call this a plot to kill the king you see Esther's cousin Mordecai had a job as an official at the king's gate. Now this is the place where all the legal things happened. The lawyers would sit there. People would come to the king's gate. There would be people there to deal with their problems, to, to carry out the law. There'd also be the merchants who were buying and selling. And all this activity would be going on. A place of 
law, a place of business, a place of commerce. It was a very busy place. And it wasn't just like sitting outside the gate. The king's officials would be there, outside the palace. You know, they wouldn't be inside the palace. It's a little bit like Umberton Down the Street. It's not in Buckingham Palace, is it? It's down the road. And that's where all the business goes on. And that's a little bit like what we have here. So that's where Mordecai is. And he's also, and officially, he's gained this position. And he hears two men plotting to kill the king. He told Esther about it. And she told the king. And when she told the king, she gave all the credit to Mordecai. She mentioned him by name. She told him, Mordecai, one of your officials, he's told me this, and now I'm telling you. And then, when the traitors were tried and executed, and the incident was then officially recorded. Now this is important. Officially recorded in the legal documents in the presence of the king. This is how the governing of Persia took place. And history tells us about that. They were very uh, meticulous in how they recorded things. They wrote down what was the truth of the day so that they had a record of it. And in this situation, I want you to notice the both Esther and Mordecai demonstrated honesty. They demonstrated humility as they dealt with this very difficult situation. The easiest thing for Mordecai to do was not tell anybody. Just carry on doing what he wasn't doing. I was bowing down to because Haman didn't notice. It was the other people around Mordecai, so he could keep his mouth shut. You know, I'll just play it safe. I'll just, uh, this will be okay. But no, he didn't. But what happened here is that the two officials who Esther, uh, Mordecai told Esther to tell the king that they were traitors were more than likely people from a higher family maybe powerful people with powerful relatives and Mordecai in all truth was still considered to be an exile okay he had a job as an official but it wasn't a very high job but he was honest about dealing with this and passing the information on and when Esther went to the king to tell him, she actually put her life at risk. Now, you're going to see that later on, how important it was that she really wasn't supposed to approach the king unless she was summoned. But she went and took her life in her hands. She'll do it again later in the booth. Well, here, she does the same thing. She goes to the king and tells him. So they're being honest. They're being faithful. And they're also being very brave. They're sticking to right principles. This is who they are. What's interesting here, and we need to take this on board, is that Mordecai didn't receive any reward. He didn't get any thanks. He'd saved the king's life. He put his own life in danger. He put Esther's life in danger. And he got no thanks. He got no credit. In short, what happened to him appears to be very unfair. His efforts ignored, he was overlooked, 
and it seemed as though nobody cared about him. And things got a little bit worse. In fact, two of the king's officials, well, okay, what well, is probably his parliament is down in two numbers, it needs to be built up again, they need to be replaced, somebody needs to do their job. He's already had his life threatened and he now wants to really nail things down. And what does he do? He promoted one of his other officials. And this other official, his name was Haman. And he was promoted to a very high level. To having overall charge of what would have been the government of the day. In other words, there was trouble in the cabinet. Two traitors were found out and ditched. And now another person was made, in our language, Prime Minister over the whole government. <clears throat> Where is God in all this? This is very unfair against Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't get acknowledged. And yet this other official gets lifted up to a high position. You think Mordecai felt a little, a little bit, well, it's not fair, is it? Why did I bother? Why didn't I just keep my mouth shut? Why did I just let life go on the way it is? Let's go to chapter 3, verse 2 and 4. And we come to the compromise. Something's going to happen here. But again, Mordecai has got to make a decision. If you go back in, in Scripture, you'll see a similar thing happen in the lives of some of his uh, predecessors, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're people who wouldn't bow down to the idol. Wouldn't bow down to the, the idol of the day. Mordecai he was supposed to bow like everybody else when he was in the presence of Haman. If Haman just walked out of the palace and walked through the crowd, they were all supposed to bow. But Mordecai refused to bend the knee. He wouldn't bend, he wouldn't bow. There's a song there somewhere. And all the people around him noticed it. Haman didn't, but the people around him, and they questioned him. Why don't you bow when... Amon walks past. And when they asked that question, Mordecai, I told him, we don't know what he said. But he must have said something like, you know, I believe in God. I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Oh, you're a Jew? Yes, I'm a Jew. That's my belief, I'm a Jew. And he stood up. And he stood his ground. And he was counted. They told Haman. And Haman was angry. Angry with the man who wouldn't bow down to him. And he wanted to kill him. And it was in his mind. I hate him, I'm going to kill him. And when he found out that he was a Jew, his hatred was accelerated to the point where he said, whoa, 
that's it. I'm going to kill him and I'm going to annihilate his nation. He's a Jew and I'm going to annihilate the Jews. You know, this kingdom of Persia, at the beginning we said how big it was. It covered the then known world. We've got to realise that. That there's something here that's going to happen and the rest of the then known world is going to find out about it. You see, these two men, Naaman, Haman and Mordecai, they have a history. At the beginning of Esther, chapter 2, verse 5, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai. The first king of Israel was King Saul. And King Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin. Way back in Exodus, Exodus 17, the Amalekites, they attacked the Israelites as they travelled through the wilderness. And this was in an attempt to prevent the Israelites reaching the promised land. This was an attempt to annihilate the Israelites before they even got to the promised land. And then in Exodus 17, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Raphadim, and then further down in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, because the Lord gave them the battle, the Israelites won. And the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Many years later, in the book of Samuel, King Saul, the Benjamite, the Jew, disobeyed God's command to kill King Agad, king of the Amalekites. And he was supposed to kill him in battle. He didn't. And what happened is that because Saul disobeyed God's command, God told Saul through the words of Samuel, you won't remain king. you pay the price. Haman's forefathers had failed in their attempt to annihilate the Jewish nation, the nation through which God's Messiah would come, bringing the good news of salvation to all men. God wasn't going to allow that to happen. But look, it's emerging again. Now let's stop a moment. Bring us into our day. There's great opposition to the gospel. You know, before God's people even got to the promised land, the outside world tried to destroy them. But failed. We've got it happening again here in the book of Esther. And you know it's happened through the ages and it's still happening now. God's people are those who have accepted Jesus as their saviour. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And the world doesn't like the gospel. Read your newspapers. Watch the television news. See what's happening. People who aren't allowed to speak God's name or who live God's lives because they trust in Jesus. And what happens? They suffer. And when they suffer, they stand strong. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 19. Let me just read these words to you. Because this is Peter 
talking to the early church the same church that we are part of God's church the church that started under the new covenant under the death and resurrection of Jesus and the church that is still continuing today until the day he returns and so we have a warning and we have lots of warnings and you know these warnings this warning to Peter wasn't just to those churches he knew it was to them and all who would come after including you and I dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in so much as you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed with his glory when his glory is revealed if you're insulted because of the name of Christ you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you if you suffer it shouldn't be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler however if you suffer as a Christian do not be ashamed but praise God that you bear that name Well, it's time for judgment to begin with God's household and it will begin with us what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God and if it's hard for the righteous to be saved what will become of the ungodly and the sinner so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to the faithful creator and continue to do good That's what Mordecai was doing he stood up it's like standing up and saying yeah I'm a Christian that's why I don't do this or I don't do that and then say what it means to be a Christian and who your God is and how you have allegiance to him and not to some man-made idol or, or <laughs> some man who holds himself up as an idol expecting others to worship him Esther 7 through 10 Haman puts the wheels in motion Haman goes to the king goes with a plan a plan to remove a certain people who according to him are a thorn in the flesh of the king he convinces the king that well it's in your interest to allow me to go and deal with these people you know, to encourage the king to pass a law that will allow Haman to do this, he offers to finance the campaign. <laughs> He's a good politician, this guy. He's gone to the king, told him that these people are bad people and they'll only do you harm, but I'll sort it out for you and I'll even pay for the privilege. Notice he doesn't tell the king who these people are he just says these people he doesn't tell them anything about the fact that he's a Jew or about the God that the Jews worship no he just says these people and he wins the king over and the king gives him even more than he expected he gave him full authority to do whatever he wants in other words you have the full weight of the law you have my consent many people who hate the gospel 
don't tell a false story of who a Christian is. Many people will then tell lies or lead people in a direction and saying, these Christians are a danger to you. They need to be dealt with. We need the weight of the law to come down on them. And the authorities say, oh yeah, they are going to do it. They did it in the case of Jesus. They gave Paul the authority to do that. But Paul was turned around by God, by the grace of God. Don't tell me that this is an old story. Well, it is an old story. But it's a true story, and it's a relevant story. And because it's an old story, doesn't mean it's not the truth. We come to that part in lesson where we see pride and power. Pride and power. Oh, that's a big thing in the world today. Isn't it? That's, that's what people want. They want pride. They want power. They want to be worshipped. And they want the power to do what they want to do. A legal document with all its I's dotted, its T's crossed, and that once passed and sealed with the king's ring that this man Haman now has, means it cannot be changed and it cannot be repealed. It's written in stone, a legal document. Special days set to dispatch the order that was to be written in every known language. Think about this. Every known language of the dead. And then delivered by couriers to all those who had authority over the cities, the towns, the villages of this great land of Persia. You thought couriers were new, didn't you? Well, no. They're here. A courier is someone who's given an important message and they have to take it quickly like we have now in our day, next day delivery. Okay, this wasn't the next day delivery, but it was as fast as it could possibly be to get everything out there into the then known world. And the order was that on a set day, the people, all the people, were to seek out every Jew, man, woman or child and kill them. And then there's a little bit of a rider. When you do that, you can have all their possessions. That was the, the law. The king and Haman sat down to drink. Job done. But we read that the people in Susa, they were bewildered. Do you feel bewildered about that happening? Do you feel bewildered about, you know, every man, woman, child who is a Jew is, is going to be annihilated? By who? By the people. The people are being asked to kill their friends and family. And neighbours. You know, these things don't happen overnight. We read this book of Esther. But there's a time scale here and a couple of years will pass. And there'll be a year that will pass between this edict going out and it actually happening. Twelve months. And in those days, that was plenty of time 
for everybody in the land to know for everybody in the land to think about it to talk about it and to listen to what we would call today fake news you know they want us to kill that man down the road he, he, he's, I know him he's my friend he's a nice man oh how do you know he's a man, nice man what do you mean oh these Jews oh let me tell you about them and their lies come out Oh, is that right? So I'll keep an eye on him. And when the day comes, they will be ready. Ready to go out and do that. We can turn a crowd. In our day, we can do it in a matter of hours. Look at the internet. The Mordecai, these are dark days. For him, and the Jewish nation, all hope has been lost. Put yourself in their position in that day, in that year, when things are changing, when even your neighbours are beginning to look at you sideways and turn against you, because they've heard lies about what you believe and who you are, and lies about the God that you worship. You think Naaman thought, where are you going? Where are you? You know, we can feel like that at times in our lives. Where are you going? Why is this happening? Why is it happening to me? Where are you? I can't see you. I can't, I can't hear you. I can't feel you. Where are you? No matter how you feel, if you know Jesus as your saviour, God is at work. You might not know it. You might not know why. You might be like Mordecai. It's all going wrong. I want you to come with me just for these final few moments as we draw to a close. I want you to come with me I want you to come and stand at the foot of the cross. I want you to stand with Mary. Her son is hanging on a cross. All those promises for who he is. This is the sword that will pierce her heart. What, what, what's she thinking? All her neighbours and people she knows, all the religious leaders, she would know the names of those tribes of Pharisees. The local ones to wherever they were. They're all there. And what does she hear? She hears amongst that crowd, these religious leaders look towards her son and shout. He trusted in God. Let God rescue him now. If he wants him. For he said... I am the son of God. You know, that cry didn't change anything. He was who he said he was. He was the son of God. Would God rescue him? Yes. Would it be now? No. Because there's a reason and there's a purpose. Mary in her heart, is she looking for another miracle like the angel who came and told her she was going to have this baby? Is she thinking that the skies are going to open and he's going to come down from the cross? 
You know, if she knew the truth of what was going to happen, there wouldn't be a soul piercing her heart, piercing her side. She'd be looking towards the future. What was the future for her? What was the future? This is today. This is happening. What will happen tomorrow? I don't know. Do you think she really thought that in a few days' time, her soul would rise from the dead? I don't think she would. I think in that moment at the foot of the cross, that was a woman whose heart was breaking because the Bible says that her heart would break. And she would have brought to mind all those things that have happened. But told that as well. You know the birth. God sorted it out then. We thought, you know, we can't find anywhere to have But we found a place. The baby was born. Oh, and then there was a danger. But God saved us from that. All these things happening. And she's probably thinking that he's been doing what he said he would do when he was 12 in the temple. He said he would do this. He's been doing this. God's been with him. He's got disciples following him. Ah, the kingdom of God has come. He said that. And all these things would come to mind and she'd be thinking, why? 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 Because it's God's time. And it's God's way. Many moments we might be thinking, where is God? I'm going to finish with this verse. Matthew 28, verse 20. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we go through the book of Esther, we're going to see that God is with Esther and Mordecai right now in that situation but they don't realise it and we know that God will be with them right to the end as he's promised to they're the words of Jesus surely I am with you always to the very end of the age will he be there for Mordecai yes and you know what he's there for you and I if we know Jesus as our saviour if we've accepted him as our Lord, if we're relying on the shed blood that he shed on the cross to be our way to glory, to be with him, then whatever's happening in your life right now, God is with you. <coughs> Jesus will be with you to the end of the age. And you know something? You might not find the real truth of that till you get there. Because we don't know all things. But he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book of Esther. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for your word and how you speak to us through it. We thank you of who you are. And our Father, we just confess before you that we don't always understand the whys and the wherefores, but help us to persevere. Help us to have the fruits of the Spirit that you have given us that we might let others see you in how we live and that we might know that you are there. Father, if there's anybody here who has not taken that step of faith, we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you will open their hearts that they might see it's not what we do, it's not what we can do, but it's what you have already done and you did it when you shed your blood and died in our place on Calvary's cross. Amen.
Let's have him sing our final hymn and then uh, do stay for tea and coffee afterwards. It's hymn number 564. Praise the Lord the Almighty. 564.
accept our worship this morning. Would you open our hearts to what you have said in your word, and that you continue to bless our fellowship and friendship together as we continue to gather in your name. Amen.